Hello and welcome to the Black Women Working Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us again. Before we get into it, how are we doing, everyone? Shan, how are you feeling? I'm all right, man. I'm all right. Thank you for asking. How are you, Tolls? I'm good. Introducing myself, Tolu, a.k.a. Tolls, because we actually forget to introduce ourselves. Hopefully by now people can recognise our voices, but if not, I'm Tolu. <laughs> okay, thanks. <laughs> you too. <laughs> no, it's her. It's not me. <laughs> okay. Now focus. So we have another another amazing founder join us today for a founders edition. I'm um, just giving a little bit of background because I feel like we've had a few episodes. But for those who don't know, Black Women are the fastest growing group of entrepreneurs. And so it's only right that here at Black Women Working that we elevate their stories, that we get the real deal, we figure out how we can support them. And from Black Women to Black Women, just provide support for our sisters who are running businesses. And we're trying to build ecosystems and they're trying to make things better for us as consumers. And we are so, so, so privileged to speak to Shireen Wildwind today, the founder of Ivy Wild Hair. Shireen, welcome to the Black Women Working Podcast. Thank you for having me. It's so great to be on this show. Uh, it's great to have you. It is really, really great to have you. And I'm really excited about our interview because we've got a lot to talk about. Now, Tolls is going to kill me if I do not do the housekeeping at this stage before we get into it. So um, you know the deal by now. We're on Instagram, we're on Twitter. Our handle is BWWPodcastUK. We are on LinkedIn, Black Women Working. And where else are we, Shan? Or is that it? We're not on anything else. Nah, man, I'm not going to lie. I haven't had the capacity. So you can just visit our website. The free W's. Blackwomenworking.com. We were on Snapchat once upon a time, but yeah, and I feel like you were talking about setting up a TikTok account. So I just thought I would just double check, but <laughs> there is a TikTok. See? Why are you out with me like See? this? <laughs> See? See? But um this is about Shireen. So um Shireen, thank you so much um for joining us. But just so people can get to know who you are, um, the basis of Ivy Wild Hair. Can you just tell us like what the story has been so far in terms of your journey? Absolutely. So it's it's a it's a strange journey, guys. I have to admit. Um, my background is actually in structural engineering. So what many people don't know is that I work full time in structural engineering as well as running my business. Um, so if I go back a uh, quite a few years, I actually studied architecture technology whilst at uni. And Ivy Wild back then was known as Bonnie Lush. And I used to sell hair extensions while I was at university. I was on a show called Be Your Own Boss, which was aired in 2012, um, hosted by co-founder of Innocence Movies, Richard Reed. Uh, we actually got to, to the second round of that, and it was on BBC Three, an amazing opportunity. Um, Again, whilst studying at university, I was also part of a pop-up store, which I helped to run for a year while studying architectural technology. Um, So, yeah, it has been quite a journey when we're talking about educational background. So I would say that my entry into the hair industry was actually from 2012. And Ivy Wild was formed from a place out of, like, frustration, really. Because at the time, I experienced a lot of personal growth through the exploration of my own identity. And I really wanted to help black women understand why it was that they were leaning on hair extensions as an aesthetical measure to make them feel good about themselves. 
so it was that that I then decided to transition from hair extensions to hair care so that I could take what I knew of the industry and also through my own exploration of identity and help women feel more confident in themselves in their own identity because let's face it ladies being a black woman in the UK is extremely challenging yeah and that's for a variety of industries that I I'm experiencing so that's that's the main reason um why I decided to transition from hair extensions into hair care wow that is really that is really inspirational and how have you how have you found it going from the idea of transitioning and the idea of having products in your head recipe to actually getting them in the bottle on the shelves and to the customer? How has that process been? Oh, I wish I could say it was an easy process. <laughs> I tell you what, the easy part is coming up with ideas. It, the easy part is finding people who can come to me and say, oh, it'll be really cool if you, if you did this or I'm having issues with this part. Going through the regulations and making sure that the ingredients in the products are nourishing ingredients that aren't going to be toxic and harmful, that has been like the mm. bread and butter of the brand. And that also oozes in everything else that we do. So we also host hormone grading workshops on a national scale through different universities as well as to the public, through teens and adults. So the basis has always been care. It's been care for our customer base. It's been care about the products. It's been us focusing on high-quality products, but also making sure that we offer high-quality service as well. So it's been a well-rounded kind of ecosystem, and it always starts with regulations and making sure that we are getting all of our products to a good standard that exceeds expectation. So, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting because. Um... As we know, there's been so many conversations about how toxic some of the ingredients mm-hmm. of black black hair care are, just even outside of like relaxers. Because I know every, everyone does know that the creamy crack is doing nothing <laughs> for you. We know that there's nothing good in that. I'm not coming for anyone that's relaxed their hair. I'm not. I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. It's me, I was a, I was a relaxer. Then I was delivered from relaxer. Then I backslid to relaxer. <laughs> I'm not even going to try and come be holier than now. But um, when we think about some of the products, I saw an article with a list of the, the carcinogens. Is it, car- is it carcinogens? Mm-hmm. A word that are in a lot of our hair products, um, mm-hmm. not even just relaxes. I was actually pretty shocked that they were allowed to have these toxic products that can cause cancer, that can cause all kinds of health problems in our products to this day. So I just really want to thank. Yeah, it's- Go on. No, no. To be honest, uh, there's a lot of people that don't know. And the the work that I've been doing, the shocking thing for me has been the hair professionals that don't know. Um, and we rely upon a, a lot of the hairstylists and, and people that look after our hair to know this information about toxic ingredients. So some of the key yeah. ingredients that I would advise your audience to look out for would be things like parabens, which are preservatives that can be really irritating on the scalp. Um, so if any of anyone who's listening has noticed like a lot of flakes on their scalp, maybe they have, it's, it's quite itchy. I would definitely look at the pro- the ingredients in the products list. So look out for parabens, anything with like methyl paraben or former or former halohydes, for example, that are preservatives linked to asthma and cancer. These are a lot of the times these are coming up in a lot of the conditions that we're finding 
people are suffering from when it comes to scalp conditions that they are completely unaware of. And I think another issue that we're having is people associate the word natural in hair care means that um, it's going to eradicate all of those issues. But there are people who are allergic to castor oil. There are people who are allergic to coconut oil. So natural doesn't always necessarily mean there's not going to be an irritation associated to that ingredient in a product. Wow. Okay. I had a so it's quite... It... Sorry, maybe I need to change my product. <laughs> no, it's, it's, um, it's, a, it's quite a lot to take in, I think, at times. And that's why the work that I do, for example, it's so rewarding because I'm able to point people in the right direction. And becoming a trichologist has been something that's been really, really exciting for me because mm. it's kind of helped me take that extra leap from an entrepreneur and a product formulator to actually caring about the individuals and their scalp health, mm. which not a lot of other entrepreneurs are doing at the moment. Yeah, so for those don't, who don't know, can you explain what a trichologist is? Absolutely. A trichologist is a person who studies the hair and the scalp. So it's our duty to make sure that if we have a client that comes and sees us, we're able to identify any issues that they have associated with their hair or any scalp conditions that they have as well. So sometimes um, we're finding that there are people that are actually going to salons and having scalp conditions, asking their stylist for advice. And there are people that aren't able to get the right advice, um, unfortunately. And also for healthcare professionals like doctors, they don't necessarily have a lot of training associated to scalp conditions. So it's our duty to make sure that we're bridging that gap, especially within the black community for women, because there are a lot of issues associated with our scalp that are going untreated because of our styling techniques like our braids and our cornrows and those kind of things that are, you know, exclusive to us really, aren't they? So, yeah. Sorry, I'd like to jump in here and ask a question because I've always kind of wanted to visit a trichologist, but I never have. I always just try and do things by myself. But from what you're describing, to me, it sounds like, you know, even if it's just like once a year or or twice a year, uh, meeting with a trichologist might be as important as when people go to a dermatologist to like investigate skin conditions, um, because essentially you're doctors for our hair and scalp and you're trained specifically in what exactly um, the things that impact um, our particular kind of hair. And as a trichologist, would you say that there's been that recognition really of the importance of what you do. Is there that kind of respect and esteem for what you do, even within the wider field of like skin and hair, people who treat skin and hair, and maybe even within the community as well? Because I have to say, whenever I heard like of trichologists, it just sounded like something really expensive that one day I'll do, <laughs> but not today. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. I think um, I do feel as though people treat the skin mm. as though it's something completely different to our scalps when really our scalp is just as important as our face. It, your scalp needs the same amount of care and attention as your skin does, um, especially when you think about our techniques for maintaining our hair at the moment. Like a lot of the time, the scalp goes unforgotten. It's just as important as everywhere else. I do want to specify that a dermatologist, it would be a higher rank to a trichologist when it comes to um 
their knowledge of hair, skin, scalp, all that kind of thing. But as a trichologist, we are able to help you get one step closer to the perfect hair routine that you need. And if anything, we're probably going to be a bit cheaper than a dermatologist. So that idea of trichologists being really expensive, I wouldn't really say that that's the thing. And also, let's let's step away from feeling that it's an expensive thing. It's an investment. We yeah. deserve nothing but the best. So we need to make sure that we're treating ourselves that way. And we are investing in our scalp health. Um, so that's something else that I think is quite important that people kind of get their heads around. In terms I think of for like, people that are having... Oh, sorry, carry on. No, it's fine. I was just going to say, I think for people who are having issues with the scalp or they're finding that their, their hair growth is stunted or they're finding that all of a sudden they're having really flaky scalps and they're not really sure what's happening or, or why this is all of a sudden happening for them, then we would definitely be the people that can help them create a healthy hair care routine that's going to be nourishing and it's going to help them along their journey. What would you say is like probably one of the most common ailments or complaints that people come to you for as trichologists and how do you kind of, what's the treatment? Within our community, I would definitely say traction alopecia. Um, Mainly mainly because of the styles that we occupy are, are tension prone. So that means there's a lot of tension that happens around the hairline. And mainly we're seeing that's because of cornrows and braids. Whenever I'm teaching a cornrow and braiding workshop, the first thing for me that's most important is that we're educating people on how to identify when cornrows and braids are too tight. The good thing about traction alopecia is it can be reversed. But unfortunately, sometimes if if the care hasn't come into play quick enough, it, it, it actually gets to the point where it's irreversible. So it's the number one treatment for it is trying to identify when it's at the point where it can be, you know, where your hair can come back. Um, I'd say that's the most important thing. If you are going to spark poor traction alopecia, your scalp is screaming at you if you've got tiny bumps around hair follicles um, or if you've got any pulling or tension where you can see that it's too tight. Mm. and if you're taking a tablet at night ladies that's an indication that your hair is too tight okay that hair needs to come out we shouldn't be having a paracetamol to actually have a good night's rest because we've had our hair done like this idea of pain is beauty we really need to turn that on its head I was gonna I was gonna jump in there um because you've mentioned the whole idea of putting care at the front of your at the front of your business and I think for many generations, we've picked up bad habits um, as black women, you know, passed down from our parents, grandparents, the hot comb, the relaxers. And so in terms of business, how easy is it or what would you say are your sort of key things when marketing and attracting clients? Because as Toll said, you know, you hear of, you may or may not have heard of, um, of, um, oh, the words are not coming to me, of um, people like trichologists, and then we don't invest. So how easy is it to get that business traction? Um, I think within the work that I do with my corner and braiding workshops, it's fairly easy because people have to listen to what I have to say when they come to my class. So it's kind of like me holding them to ransom, really, like regardless of whether they want to hear it, 
whilst you're sat here, you're going to hear it. Okay. Like before anyone comes to my class and they even get to touch a mannequin head, I'm going to drill into you the reasons why it's so important to invest in scalp health. And that's going to be the first thing that, that you actually hear from me. Um, so it's a little bit of a trickery, a trickery kind of thing, but you know, it's good for people to hear because they then get to go away and come back with the questions that they have about their scalp health, about how they can treat their hair a little bit better. I do want to touch on something though um, that we are experiencing amongst um, black women predominantly. It does affect other races as well, but we are seeing a condition called CCCA, um, which we have we haven't exactly pinpointed a cause for it as yet. But the research is showing that it is an epidemic that's predominantly across black women where hair loss is occurring mainly in the crown area of their hair. Um, it is just something that I think is really important. So if someone is finding that they're experiencing quite a bit of hair loss in those areas, and they're not sure why, I would definitely urge people to see a trichologist at their earliest convenience that they can try and prevent that hair loss from being worse. I really wanted to, to touch on um, how politicised black hair has always been. And I think this kind of conversation we're having, again, about previous habits, lack of investment, um, and kind of the styling that we choose that is ultimately on top of things like relaxers, but like tight cane rows, tight weaves, all of those type of things are potentially kind of damaging. But a lot of that, um, a lot of those roots that we take sometimes are due to texturism, and also sometimes due to a kind of perception about what is professional and what is an acceptable or neat or decent hairstyling for black women compared to our natural hair in its natural state. Um, so how, obviously your priority is for black women to love their hair, to care for their hair in the best, healthiest, safest way. How do you see that kind of, you know, natural versus what is professional versus what is acceptable? playing out when you're interacting with people in your cane row workshops your customers who are buying products like how does that impact your business on a day-to-day -day? that's a very I think that's a very heavy question because oh, sorry <laughs> it, has, it has no no it has a lot of layers to it doesn't it and I think if we unravel all of those layers it, it always comes back to self and how a person feels about themselves Unfortunately, we are in a society where the straight your hair is, the more opportunities you get, let's be frank. But I do find that a lot of the work that we're doing at the moment is helping people to untangle those myths about our textured hair and what it means to have beautiful, bouncy Afro hair and when it is and isn't acceptable to feel like you can have that natural hair out. There is definitely a need um, for the industry to a lot further ahead than what it is at the moment and for women to feel much more confident about themselves in working environments however I, I do feel like we have made some progress mm. and a lot of that has been down to social media mm. um something I've always thought I don't know if you ladies have ever had this feeling but anytime recently anytime I have walked across walked past a woman and she has her natural beautiful afro hair out mm -hmm. I almost feel like wow like she looks amazing she looks incredible whereas previously you would almost be like why why has she got her natural hair out what she doing? Like, what is that about yeah yeah in 2023 you know that there has been a redirection into how we perceive natural hair because 
it symbolizes empowerment. It doesn't necessarily sim- symbolize unkept or the lack of professionalism like it used to. And if like in the day and she's got her hair and she looks dressed really well, you know, she looks professional, she's got a, she's suited and booted, all that. Mm-hmm. It feels even more amazing. I feel even more amazing about myself when I see other women embodying the best version of them. So that being said, it's about leading by example. The very best version of you is going to show up when you see another woman showing up in the very best version of themselves as well. It goes hand in hand. You feel good about yourself when you see other women like us feeling their very best as well. So I think that the, the more that we do on social media to push this shift of perspective, the more confident people are going to feel in the working environment to be their true versions of themselves. Mm. I'm going to, I'm going to say, I'm going to jump in here again because um, I do feel like there was um, a natural hair renaissance. I would say maybe like eight to 10 years ago, but recently something I've seen recently and it's disheartened me a little bit is people just giving up. They're like, this is too hard. I don't want to <laughs> deal with this anymore. I'm going back to relaxer. And I always struggle with this because obviously people are entitled to do or make the choices that they want to. But also I struggle with it because I feel like it's a little bit of internalised um, indoctrination of what we've been told about our mm-hmm. hair in order, in order for us to conform to kind of those European standards. Oh, it's too difficult. It's too hard. But in comparison to who? Because our hair has always been the same hair that we've had on our head for centuries yeah. Do you know what I mean it hasn't changed over time so I don't know if you've ever encountered this in any of your clients or maybe in any of your workshops how do you kind of um challenge that thinking so to speak or that perception that people are having or people are feeling a little bit discouraged about taking care of their natural hair as they're finding it really tricky they haven't found the products that kind of work for them and they're like okay this is giving me a bit of um, anxiety and stress now mm-hmm. I think that's a really good point I have seen exactly what you've seen where people are almost turning back to relaxers and do you know what I think it's down to? I think it goes back down to this self-confidence thing about people feeling good about themselves and self-esteem in their complete natural hair. The reason why I say that is because if you were to get up out of bed, say you just fluff your hair, you've got your natural hair out, you fluff your hair, really, what is stopping us from leaving the house just like that? <laughs> There's nothing stopping us other than how we feel about ourselves. Exactly. Yeah, so a lot of that, is it harder for us to to do our hair or is it that it's harder for us to maintain the level and standard that society still places on us, even when we say we're natural? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. again, it goes back to this being about the layers. Even even though we are saying people are out wearing their natural hair and they're feeling much more themselves, it still comes back down to maintaining that level of confidence because. Although we're in our house, we're watching social media, we're watching YouTube videos and tutorials of how to style our natural hair. The moment we leave our homes, the comfort of our homes, we're back into that same society that is driving us down and making us feel like we are not enough. It's about maintaining that same level of care for oneself and keeping your self-esteem as high as you possibly can. Yeah, definitely. Relaxers are always going to have the same issues yeah, relaxers that we 
know that they're always going to, anytime we're going back to that, we're taking a step back away from the best versions of ourselves, the truest versions of ourselves. Because really, we know what we really want to do, but society is making us feel like we should go back to being a conformed version of ourselves. Yeah, and it's not even healthy anyway. I think the biggest argument against relaxers is, you know, there's lots of been studies been done in terms of the link it has to fibroids, especially in black women. Yeah. I just think once you've heard that, <laughs> how can you risk it? No, there's no way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ever going back. That's there's a serious no issue way. for black women. It's a serious, Very. serious issue for black women, and there seems to be no understanding about where it comes from, how to fix it, how you know. But it's because it disproportionately affects us. Now, um, I just want to do um, a trigger warning for assault. Um, so, if mm. if you don't want to hear about this, please fast forward for te- about ten minutes. But um, which I just wanted to touch on the incident that happened at the black hair shop in Peckham because I feel like um that is another important aspect of this conversation when we're talking to um black hair professionals and entrepreneurs just because if you think about it we're talking about relaxers and styles that lead to us trying to conform or I would say try to assimilate and trying to you know kind of take on European standards with straighteners, with extensions, with weaves, so on and so wigs, so on and so forth. But I think one of the biggest problems for us, um, and I think you put it so eloquently in um, a video, is how we are treated when we actually go to buy products because the majority of people that we are buying products from are from a certain demographic that do not have hair like us, are not from our community and effectively being exploitative. And so for those who don't know, there was a black woman um, in September in Peckham <clears throat> who went into a hair shop um, to purchase some extensions, I believe. And the shop has um, a policy of no exchanges, no refunds, which I just want to flag is an unfair consumer term, specifically when products are faulty. But I'll take off my legal hat for now. Um, and this <laughs> had an issue. She was refused a refund. Um, and it appears that in trying to assert her rights and get another product or extensions that were suitable or fit for purpose, she was assaulted by the shopkeeper. And um, the reason I want to touch on it is because we've had protests, there's been social media outcry, um, and there's been a lot of discussion about the systemic issues in the black hair ecosystem or the black hair economy in the UK. Um, and the first thing people say, similar to what you've said, similar to what other hair care professionals said, they said support Black-owned businesses, support Black-owned brands. But on a real level, how do we actually grow Black ownership in the hair care industry in a, in a way that is going to be sustainable? Not in the sense of every time there's an issue, people are going to just do like a black pound day and they're going to have a surge mm-hmm. of purchases. But how do we actually change people's minds in terms of how they are purchasing their products, where they're purchasing from? I think we're probably the only demographic who consistently purchase um, such critical hair care, skin care, hygiene care from people who look like do not look like us, do not sound like us do not have our best interests at heart and actually can't give us advice on what products are best for our hair. Yeah. I think if it's a tricky one. It's definitely a tricky one because I, I was having a discussion with another hair professional about what we can do 
to support change. It's okay me posting things on Instagram about, you know, the issues that have been at hand. But what structure can we put in place to maintain this change that a lot of people are doing? And I don't want it to just be a trend for a moment. I definitely want it to be something that I'm doing long term. So the first thing that I would call out for other hair care brands to do is to stock your products in Black-owned salons. We may not have as many store locations, Black-owned store locations, as, you know, other demographic, um, other ethnicities have that are selling our products. However, we do have a lot of salons. So what we need to do is get our products into salons and have that's the best way for us to keep our money within our society within within our economic circle that's the first thing that I would do that not only helps the brands and the salons maintain a high level of clientele it also offers accessibility for the the customers that are going into these stores the main reason why they're going into these stores is, is because of convenience and out of habit, it's it's a comfort zone, isn't it? So all we need to do is create a new comfort. And just like we did making those negative vi- viral videos, we need to also make sure that we're posting as much as we possibly can about these salons that we are stocking in so that we can keep and maintain a flow of pound happening within these, within these environments. Now, I don't think this is going to be a very easy thing to do, but it's going to be something that needs to begin. And one thing I know about our community is that we definitely show up for each other. We've seen this with the Black Pound days. Yeah. You know, they started something in 2020 that has still been maintained over the past three years. Mm. It's fantastic to see. We are seeing a lot more of um, these pop-ups that are happening that are marketplaces for our community. Yeah, and it's amazing. Just like Treasure Trust, they have their another pop up in Birmingham yeah. coming up. It's amazing. It's great to see, and it's great to see that people are showing up in numbers and wanting to be in these environments. And if we actually look at the statistics, Black we make up, or we make up for ten percent out of the spend when it comes to beauty. But that, but in society, we only make up two percent of the population. So that doesn't really make any sense, really, does yeah. it? When you think about it, we're spending the most, but with the smallest amount within our our community and statistically we're spending six times more on hair care products than our counterparts so really anywhere that we put our money within the beauty industry is making a huge impact because that's eight that's an 80 million pound industry that we're talking about the hair industry alone and 80 percent of that is black women's contribution on an annual basis so the statistics are showing us that we are spending our money we just need to think about where we're spending our money and also the same way we're asking people to spend their money on in these stores, the stores also need have a responsibility to support Black-owned hair care brands because yeah. a lot of the products that are coming in from the States, again, mm-hmm. if we go back to regulations, mm-hmm. our UK regulations for hair products are the highest. Yep. The USA do not have the same regulations as us. So... It's not, it's, you know, we have to think about the ingredients that are in these products and the UK regulations are the highest. So I really would ask any salon owners, store owners to invest in UK brands. 
I think it's a nuanced one because I know that for a lot of people, affordability as well was a key factor. Mm. And it's a difficult one because obviously where we really need to get our hands on is at the supplier level, you know, that particular demographic, they have the chokehold on that. I don't know how or yeah. why that's happened. It could, to be arguably to honest with you, in terms of we look at what black women spend most on in terms of hair stuff, if we're looking at wigs, weaves, all those kind of things, there's no other place that that's coming from. So, but then sometimes when I think, oh, it's affordability, I think mm, that's a cop out because people are spending hundreds and thousands of pounds to do things like wigs, et cetera, et cetera. So why not even spend a smaller amount when it comes to actually taking care of the hair underneath that? So whilst I recognise that for some people it's an affordability factor, I also don't recognise it because I know that we spend a lot of money taking care of and maintaining hair that actually doesn't do anything for our own hair. And what you said in terms of advertising and marketing and promoting, I remember several years ago, there was an event. It used to happen, I think, on a yearly basis called Curvolution. And they used to bring... Is it? Okay, my bad. Sorry. (laughs) And they bring people... (laughs) This is when the natural hair movement was like really bursting and moving. And mostly it was filled with like a lot of people from the hair care movement in um, America. But basically they would have an open market where you could get a wide variety of like all sorts of black hair products. And I think, again, that's another place that could be good in terms of promoting brands such as yourselves and other UK um UK born and bred hair care brands such as this. But I feel like it's going to, we're not going to see change overnight because actually it's an education Mm. piece. And it starts Mm -hmm. kind of maybe with our generation and maybe the youngers actually learning the fundamental basics of our hair, why it does what it does, what works best for it in terms of getting very educated on our hair itself and And there is still like a massive chasm in terms of how educated we are on our hair. I'm in my mid 30s or actually might even be late 30s now. There's still some things that I'm only just learning now. So if I'm only just learning it, there's still a long way to kind of go in terms of having people understand their hair, understand what products work best for them and why it's so important to invest in our community and why they are the ones that have our best interests at heart when it comes to the provision of the things that we need to like make our hair be in its natural luscious um condition that it can be absolutely and you know that's why the work that we are doing with our former branding workshops is so fundamental i've been hosting these workshops for the past three years and i can't even tell you the amount of older women we've had that have come to these events and they've learned so much that there are women that have never learned to cornrow or braid their own hair. And if you think about it, for Black women, this is a life essential skill, guys. This is something that we need to know, you know? Not only is it the saving money aspect of it, it's also for making yourself feel good about yourself as well because it's really important for us to know the ins and outs of our natural hair. So again, when we're teaching these cornrows and braiding workshops, I'm telling you girls, I'm drilling this education down people's throats even before they even get to touch a mannequin head so mm. we've had teenagers with the youngest the youngest attendee that we've had that has learned our cornrow and braiding workshop and it's been really fruitful it's been an eight-year-old girl the same day she learned how to cornrow was the same day she went and 
did her three-year-old sister's hair. Okay, and I have the mom sent me pictures of um, her daughter doing her other daughter's hair, and it just filled me with so much joy. Because although we can, we can, you know, it sounds like a very fun activity to do to come and learn how to come and how to braid. But if you think about the kind of curses that we are breaking when it comes to misinformation of cornrowing and braids mm-hmm. really we are doing the justice those two girls now hopefully they'll be able to take that information that they've learned and pass that down the same with the university workshops so like you said it's about teaching the younger generations the university workshops that we're doing we're going in we're teaching university students who are away from home away from their usual environments away from mom who used to do their hair or the stylist that used to do their hair in the comfort of their hometown and we're helping them to not only identify scalp conditions if they come across any but also helping them to understand what porosity is what these different hair types are as well as teaching them how to cornrow and how to braid with and without hair extensions so it's fundamental work that they are going to be able to take with them for when they are 65 years old and they've got their little ones in between their legs so that's why I'm saying the work that we're doing, it fills mm. me with so much joy and it makes me so happy because it's nourishing and I know I'm contributing to the community. Do you know what? It's so funny that you mentioned the workshops because definitely that was one of the things that I saw and I was like, oh my gosh, they need some of those in London because I need to learn how to braid my hair. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm tired of getting disappointed. I learned how to cable my hair properly in pandemic because it was by force, right? And so now I can do my wig braids. I am going to pay no one 20, 30 pounds for damn cornrows, right? But I need to learn how to braid because I'm getting fed up. <laughs> I want to mm. know how to well, do I it. Saw, uh, what did you tell me? I've been braiding my own hair since I was like, 10. I love it. I love I that for you. Either, I can't exactly. say either. I love that for you people, but that's not been my life. <laughs> I saw uh, even the um nutless braids. I saw I can't remember which social media influencer it is, but a thousand pounds. She paid a thousand pounds. Oh, we know who for braids. Yeah. And I was just like, a thousand what? That's because a thousand pounds is like ten, that's because it's like 10 pounds to her. Her money's long, so <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, if we can teach more people those skills, then, you know, that's great. Mm, mm, I'm here for it. Come down to London. I, w- I want to go. I want to learn some more. <laughs> yeah, we do teach in London, actually. We, the last one we had in London was last, last month. Um, but we teach London, Manchester, Birmingham. With the oh, universities, okay. we've, we've got quite a few lined up for uh, the next couple of months. We have two workshops in Kent. Uh, we we're, we're in Birmingham Uni. Uh, we've got quite a few different universities. So we, on a national scale, we go around to different universities universities to teach these skills. That's amazing. Um, so, yeah, we, we will definitely have somewhere for you How to come to, for sure. It's not even bright. About these courses. Yeah, so all of our tickets are on Eventbrite. And we have a teens workshop, actually, next month as well. Um but if we just can we just quickly go back to this the beauty store issue because mm-hmm. I just want I just want people to understand because many people may not know this because it was pre social media really but this incident that has happened in Peckham is not an isolated incident so there was also an incident in Perry Bar um in Birmingham which happened probably I want to say about five or six years ago could have been longer than that actually. 
where a, a girl was locked in a store and there was a boycott incident with that. So that happened in Perry Bar. This year, there has also been an issue um, with a store based in Manchester where a store actually had to apologise on social media for racist comments that were made to customers. So this is something that's happening mm. all over. So although people, I do know a lot of people saying, well, um, there has been extra footage that has emerged with um, the customer, you know, not being... As Even so, you know, it doesn't validate anything. I'm sorry, the extra footage just proved no, that he was moving Absolutely. mad to me. Because my, my theory is, if you're in a... Imagine going to River Island. Imagine going to where, like, River Island mm-hmm. and you're having that experience. It, the security guard would not be trying to stop you from leaving like that. They would call the police. So mm-hmm. there's a lack of respect. That's mm-hmm. the reason why we're experiencing, observing this kind of behaviour. So I agree with you wholeheartedly. There is no excuse whatsoever for that kind of behaviour. Yeah, I just think as well, one thing that's been disappointing with the, the different feedback on the, um, the kind of comments on social media is um, there's like a lot of kind of respectability and a lot of pressure on us to be absolutely perfect in how we um, mm. respond in times of discrimination, in times of abuse, in times of disrespect, in times of public humiliation, public humiliation. And I think it's a really tall order to expect people to be completely perfect when they're being put facing people who are disgusting and graceless. And I'll just leave it. I'll just leave it there, basically, with that yeah. one. You know, we're always mm-hmm. going to support black women on this podcast. That's the whole basis of what we're created to do. So yeah, we're just going to leave that one there because I just I just feel like there's no way you're going to expect me to have a perfect reaction and to not defend myself and to kumbaya myself out of every moment when someone is violating my rights, specifically when someone has taken my money and the product they've given mm-hmm. me is satisfactory. Even if you put no exchanges, no refunds on your Dutty Janko receipt, I don't care. So. Listen, that's it. I said, I said it. On, I said it on social media, so I can say it here. If someone puts their hands around my throat, they better kill me because what is happening afterwards is what is happening afterwards. Make sure I'm dead because there ain't no way. <laughs> There's no way ever. Stand up. Mm, this is why as a woman it's important to know how to defend yourself as well sorry it's just the world that we live in every situation um certain a certain demographic men want to run a madness no sorry mm-hmm. oh, I hate mm-hmm. you so just um moving on because we've got, got to kind of like make our way towards the end of the episode every um founders issue we do we always ask the previous founder that we interviewed about their business to ask us to give us a question to ask the next founder and the question we got from the previous founder who was Katora Cummings or forward slash who's also is she also from Birmingham as well or am I getting that one she's a northerner no, but I think I, it I, might have been Manchester I, I wasn't sure I had a Birmingham accent ladies <laughs> sorry I think it might have been Manchester, you know. <laughs> Katura, I'm sorry if we're if you're listening and we've butchered this. <laughs> but um, what would be the thing that would make you throw in the towel? Yeah, you see, I had a I had a thought about this question. Um, it's a tricky one because I don't know. I think for me, my reason why is my son. 
So anything that would make me feel like, okay, this is costing me way too much family time. That would that that would be for me is when I bow out. That would be for me is when I'm like, okay, this needs to be sold or I need to figure out what I'm going to do. And I think that's why it's so important for people to sell their businesses so that they are not the only person in it or completely responsible for its growth. And that's what really takes a, a business from a hobby to a business as well, where you're able to hand it over to someone else at some point in time. So for me, it would be if I have to choose between my family and the business. But otherwise, I'm ready to fight whatever comes my way. (laughs) Out of curiosity, because you said that you, um, I know we're wrapping up now, but you said that, you know, you have a day job and this works alongside of it. How big is your team? Who's the we? So, yes. So, you know, what's great. I have to I have to talk about Lamia. I, I can't go without answering this question without talking about Lamia. So Lamia is our hair educator. Um, and she's been with us for the past, I think, two and a half years. She's absolutely incredible. So we actually have done some work with Hairdressers Journal, courtesy of her, um, where we created a YouTube series. Um, and she has really was really pivotal for that. When it comes to anything hair education related. Um, with hairdressing she has 20 plus years of experience so Lamy has been an amazing part of the journey um we've also had uh we've got two university students that have joined us so upon me teaching I've been able to recruit and it's been great because I've been able to offer them part-time work that works hand in hand with their university studies and it's something where they don't have to feel like they need to code switch or anything like that. Like they are in their environment with yeah. other like-minded people and it's fantastic. And then we also have Carisha, who is um, our videographer at times. <laughs> she's multi-talented. And she's also um, our assistant as well. She's, she helps with a lot of the, the hair education part as well. So yeah, it's it's been quite a journey. Um it's been great and my family help out so much as well I have to say I think juggling so many different things it's really important to have the right support in place and I'm very fortunate to have that yeah I think that's a blessing because not having that support and infrastructure is one of the main reasons why people do have to throw in the towel so um what question would you like to ask the next founder um the question I would like to ask the next founder would be, or the next question would be, if you were to sell your business, what would be the hardest part about doing that? Absolutely. Because I think I think that it's your baby, isn't it? It is something that you grow with, you put your all into it. What would be the hardest part to walk away from? interesting that is a tricky one but thank you no problem could you answer that question yourself I wasn't expecting that because it's having us on their spirit that was one of those questions I'm just interested there's a big there's not but there's a lot of discussion about um black owned hair brands then selling to like Unilever Procter and Campbell Mm. um, yeah I think how people feel about that and stuff yeah I think 
for such a long time it, it has been part of my identity and even like if sometimes when people email me they'll say oh hi Ivy and they yeah. don't know my name's not Ivy you know but it, it's like yeah I'm Ivy you know what I mean so I think the part of that would be the most difficult part of that would be figuring out who Shireen is away from Ivy Wild, like separating myself from the brand, which I know is really important to do. And I think you get that, you get that through any kind of life experience, even as a mom, when you, when you become a mom, it's like, okay, who is Shireen now that she's a mom? Who, who was I before? You're always going through this identity crisis. So I think the hardest part for me stepping away from the brand would be who who does this mean Shireen is now and what does the future hold for me so I think it would then open up lots of more questions of like okay what do I do now <laughs> because more than likely I would definitely want to get stuck into something else all right well we have come to the end of our episode Shireen thank you so much for joining us and having such an important conversation about self-love, care, care, and about Ivy World as well. But before we go, can you please let the listeners know where they can find information about Ivy Wild? Absolutely. So our website is Our social media handles are at Ivy Wild Hair. We have all of our events on Eventbrite. So if you type in Ivy Wild Eventbrite, We'll see our list of Cornwall and Braiding workshops on there as well. That is great. Um, and so we've come to the end of the episode. I just want to thank the listeners again. Um, Shan, can you please do the housekeeping thing, please? Yeah, so you can find us on the socials. That's Insta and Twitter at BWW Podcast UK. You can find us on LinkedIn, searching Black Women Working. We also... Um, have a website free w's blackwomenworking.com and for a more personal touch we love hearing from you via email and that is blackwomenworkinguk at gmail.com thank you very much and as always listening please remember to like subscribe comment tell a friend tell a friend tell a friend tell a friend and we'll see you next time ciao Bye. Adieu.